Welcome to the Origins of the Hunt podcast, where we bring like-minded individuals together, share stories, strategies, and discuss everything outdoors. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, never stop learning. What's up, guys? Welcome back to this week's episode of Origins of the Hunt podcast. This week, I have on two buddies that I graduated high school with. First one's going to be Brad Graham, who uh, <laughs> I've talked about a couple times on the podcast, mainly from the uh, the fact that he owns a family farm that I hunt on, but also due to the fact of deer shaming. And uh, he's missed two, one of the biggest bucks I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the other one wasn't quite as big, but both on his farm. So I've talked about both of those stories on my, <laughs> on my podcast. Uh, so he's going to join us, and we also have on with us Destin Demarion, another one uh, we graduated with. Destin fishes on the Bassmaster Elite Series, and uh, his season's about yeah, to kick off. Yeah. Bassmaster's Elite, so he's about to uh, about the season's about to kick off for him here in a couple weeks. And uh, with that being said, Destin, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Give us a little bio. Yeah, like Charlie said, I'm I'm Destin Demarion. I fished the Elite Series for a couple of years, and uh, now I'm fishing the EQs, which is uh, to to qualify for the Elite Series again. Um, I also have missed a big bucket, Brad's farm, we were talking about <laughs> earlier before the show started. Um, but yeah, we all went to high school. Charlie and I worked together, George Jr. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to talking some some hunting, fishing, whatever it may be. Yeah, a little BS, a little storytelling, reminiscing, just. And everybody get to know you. I figured, heck, I mean, we don't have very many famous people. I don't think from Grove City. I mean, I don't know if you consider I wouldn't yourself. Say I'm famous. I don't. Yeah, you don't consider yourself I had famous. I've five but, minutes of fame so far. Well, hey, I know the morning. It was a Saturday morning, I think, and it was the first time you were you were on ESPN and Brad Brad's video and then texting me, calling me. He's like, dude, you're never gonna guess. Destin is on ESPN. So in our eyes, I mean, you're. You're famous, you know what I mean? Well, I appreciate that, but I'll I'll downplay that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's the best part about it, the, the staying humble. So you also, you do a little bit of, we'll get into the, the, the tournament fishing, you know, but you do a little bit of guiding as well. Yeah, yeah. I've had a guide business up here at Lake Erie. Uh, the wife and I and my daughter, Eva, we moved up here two years ago. Um, but I was guiding here since 2014, but just better to be up here and be able to, to do all the stuff and stay on the fish a little bit better and have somewhere to fish at home when I come off the road and not have to drive two hours every, every time I want to go fish. Cause you guys know, it's, it's hard to get to a place to a big lake to fish around us. It's nothing is really within 30 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm at the same point with hunting, like, if I want to go to Gamelands and hunt anything good, good, I got to travel. But yeah. I'm not at the point, obviously, with my hunting where I'm going to uproot. I mean, I'll make my my weekend trips, you know, you know, out to the big woods maybe next year. I have plans or maybe maybe Ohio for a weekend. But that's something. Some big deer there. Yeah, big that's deer. something. I mean, I know guys who've done that. They've uprooted from New York and just went to Ohio. Yeah, and just. They just gave up everything to chase big deer. I mean, that's essentially what you do. They literally moved their whole just existence there just to hunt. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I can't say much. I pretty much did that for fishing. So Yeah, (laughs) you did. So with the the tournament fishing and the 
the guiding, I guess, what, what got you into that? Um, really it was just a way to, I mean, as a fisherman, there's only a few ways you can make money. I mean, you could be a commercial fisherman, which no one really does that around here. You could be a fishing guide. You could be a professional angler. Those are really your only means of making money fishing per se. So guiding is pretty steady and, and people want to come fish with you, especially if you know what you're doing. And we have one of the best smallmouth fisheries in the country right here in Lake Erie. That's not far from, you know, where we grew up. So it was a no brainer for me. I mean, it was just a way to have steady income with that and, you know, tournament fishing and it all just meshes together kind of. Yeah. I remember uh, you and your grandfather taking me to Lake Erie for the first time to steelhead. The fish. steelhead yeah. Yeah. What a blast that was. And the fish were gigantic, you know, Catching what we catch out of Wolf Creek here compared to that is not even close. Oh, I know. But uh, crazy. What came first for you, Destin? Was it the the guiding or the Bassmasters? Were, were were you more interested in guiding, and it kind of led to that? Or no, I always want to do the Bassmaster. I mean, I think you can remember when we were kids. I even set, talked about it, like, but nobody really probably knew what the heck it was back then, like from around us, because right. it's just not really popular. Um. But yeah, that was always what I wanted to do. The guiding is just kind of like a side. It's like everybody, you got to have a job. You got to make ends meet. And if, if you're going to do that, at least be on the water, you know, have fun, teach people. I like to teach people too. Cause I mean, I love just sharing it with, with people, everybody. I love to share fishing with everybody. I mean, I, as you know, we used to go fishing all the time. Yeah. I think that's how the, the Graham Lake kind of, yeah became, became <laughs> i think i think you had a lot to do with that because i think you had a, the, the live well back in like oh yeah school, all, you know the portable live well go, we were, yeah we're running fish back and forth <laughs> yeah yep. we used to transport hey, fish we, we had to do what we had to do <laughs> yeah it is, it, is alive. <laughs> it is alive and thriving down there now but That's i know i haven't been so you guys have fished there recently they do well now. Him and Johnny have been going out with the boat, and they do. They kill it down there. Yeah, it, it's tough from land now, especially later on, like in the summer when it, it all grows up. But, uh, you know, we I went out, and like I said, I bought this cheap little tin can John boat, and Johnny bought the uh, trolling motor for it. So real easy to load. We just store it up in the barn, take it across the road, and, you know, we're out in the lake in 15 minutes. And we've done actually pretty well out there recently. A lot of catfish. A lot of nice size crappy. Um, obviously, the bass out there is pretty good. What's that? I said as big as your yingling. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did catch some nice crappy. Where you're holding nice that crappy. big crappy, yeah. and you got the beer right next to. It. <laughs> yeah, that was, those are some nice ones there too. So, but yeah, you you were definitely a contributor to that. I remember back in the day, we used to go pond to pond and see what we could get. Oh yeah, we, we were taking all the fish from other places and putting them in your pond like too many i know, at some point. I know that the just from working down there and being down there every day the amount of eagles i see down there oh, it's yeah. insane because i actually was working with the drag line that actually dug out the pond the the oh, lake the grams yeah he's really? actually we were running it right behind there and i was being broken on running that and i so i got to pick the guy's brain about what the pond actually is like because he dug it he's like yeah it was probably for about 40 feet deep when he oh, dug wow. it he said but now it's probably the deepest he said he could imagine is 30 
Brad, what'd you say? You guys were down oh, yeah, there? my my cousin's uh, so. husband took a boat out there with a fish finder on it. Well, and... I remember when they're spinning around their little ski boat or whatever that yeah. one time. <laughs> yeah, and they they got a major. They said it was anywhere from twenty seven to thirty feet at the deepest. So it's That's definitely good. still got some depth to it, and uh, it's still thriving. If, so if we would have had a better winter for for hard water, I yeah. as soon as Christmas let out, I'm like, man, we need to just. Because I know that we tried it, uh, uh, you know, years ago, making little structures out there with yeah. the Christmas trees. And then just and, like, yeah, set them on the ice. Yeah, and I know that a lot of them blew, blew to shore. So, I don't, I was hoping we had a better year for that. But I don't think we had enough. We maybe had enough ice to go out once or twice, but I, it wasn't. Yeah, it was me. iffy this year. A yeah. lot of the ice guys were not happy about it. But I got a really good story on that putting out structure. So, Brad, me and your brother. We wanted to go put some Christmas trees in there the one time. So we, we get a couple axes and go just walking through the woods. And we're like, hey, look at all these little Christmas trees growing. Which, unbeknownst to us, or at least Ben, because I'm just following his lead here. That was somebody's like, Christmas tree farm. We just started chopping them down. <laughs> Up there in the corner of the field. Yeah, <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking little... about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, at least you got some out of there without getting caught, oh, yeah. right? But I'm like, Ben, this just looks too like uniform. Like he's like, nah, <laughs> these are too uh, unnatural. Chopping them down. But they, we sunk those, and they're still in there. Like we just put cinder blocks on them and took them out in the canoe and sunk them down there. I caught a big couple big ones off of the one. Yeah, we actually was that. Two, it was two years ago. We took uh, Johnny took it on a chainsaw, and yeah. there were, we. So there's a beaver down there, and he's yeah, really I've seen that dam over there. Yeah, he's definitely. I mean, he's helped but hurt certain areas down there. I think. Yeah. And it seems like right around the dam, you just couldn't fish. It got so overgrown. So they wanted to clear out some of the trees, and I said, "We'll just hinge cut them and let them fall into the tree into the water." Yeah. Well, Johnny cut one pretty good sized yeah. tree down into the water, and it actually was still green that fall. Yeah. Like that was probably right after the ice came off yep and that summer it was still green in the water and there was fish already holding on it so oh, I mean, they, it was, they love that fresh stuff like it goes to show you so quick they'll exactly they'll find it especially mm -hmm. once it starts getting warm it was i mean like i said the beaver dam it's it's good but i told brad the other day i drove by and you can see from the road he has a tree chewed down in the middle going down over the road so you can't drive back to the lake right now <laughs> oh like that little entrance he's blocked it yeah, yeah he's, he's making it his own home back there there's no it, doubt it's a big it's a big beaver like very like trapping <laughs> yeah that's what i said well i was actually archery hunting down there last year two years ago on the ground and he came swimming up by and i'm like i'm gonna shoot you and take a chance of losing there because I just I wasn't I was having a bad year. <laughs> it must have been it must have been last year. <laughs> it reminds me of the the swan incident. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, they had a giant rabid swan down there for a while too. I think it was the meanest swan I've ever it was. seen. It's what's funny about that lake is it just attracts all different kinds of wildlife. Like yep. you'll never oh, yeah. know what you see down there. You'll see big buck. You'll see doe. Yeah. You'll see big snakes, beavers, beaver, eagles everywhere. And then a guy. That has the property behind you. He has one of those purple Martin Bill Elliott. My, yeah. Well, it'd be yeah. actually it's the Sontag. So it's the Elliots and the uh, Sontag's right behind there, and that's where we were working. And he has those big blue or purple Martin houses everywhere. Yeah. So it's just like it's that whole creek right down through there, just 
polluted. Yeah, you got the creek there. You got all those ponds and stuff. It's it's really nice. It's a good good property you guys have there. It is. So, Dustin, has there ever been a moment where I guess you've kind of had to sit down and and wait, wonder if the you were going to wake up from the dream? You know, this is your childhood dream. Yeah. I mean, how how have you stayed like you know, I guess so level headed and so humble through you know the whole thing when you know a lot of people might you know obviously you see it every day happen you know people let fame and you don't call it fame but i mean you're living like you're still living your childhood dream i mean how do you how do you stay so level-headed through that for sure um yeah definitely like when i when i made the elites and stuff it definitely never felt that real <laughs> ah. um it was it was pretty cool and i just you know just go with it and you just keep just putting one foot in front of the other and it just then it just becomes kind of normal to an extent but you want to try to not let it be too normal that it's not like that that like passion that you know that you have for it like you don't want to let it become like a job you know per se right. um but the humble thing i'd say the sport humbles you because as much success as you could have you're gonna have times where it just doesn't work and i've had those and i mean I'm still figuring it out, you know, in the, in the fishing world and I've had ups and downs and you just kind of, you just try to stay the course and tweak little things to try to make things better and try to stay humble through the process. Cause if you don't, you will be humbled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't know how you could live that life. I mean, you don't call like I said, you don't call it fame. We consider it fame, but even at that level, I mean, the cameras in your face, I mean, I mean, that would just be enough to, to throw your nerves off, you know, let alone the, the, the pressure of the pressure of just going out and competing to, for a living. You know what I mean? It's not just, right. it is fun. It is a hobby, but at the end of the day, you're, you're still out there to work, I guess. And, oh yeah. You know, it's, represent a lot of work. it's a lot more work than people think. And it's, as competitive as anything you could do for a career, I, I could promise you, because not everybody wants to sit at a cubicle or, you know, be doing landscaping. Uh, almost everybody wants to be out hunting or fishing or, you know, yeah. that's what we're wired to do, to be honest. As men, most of us are wired to do that. So when true. we're getting forced to do other stuff, it's, and you can do something else that's more in line with kind of what we're made to do. That's that's very competitive. So, you know, I, obviously I follow you on Facebook and I always see these giant small mouth and all these big bass. So when you're guiding, how do you find those spots where you're consistently finding those quality fish at? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. So a lot of it's from here is experience and just learning those areas. You know, Lake Erie is, is a very big body of water, so it takes time to learn. The movements of the fish seasonally so that's i mean taking me my younger years i went to college up here so i spent a lot of time even before i had a boat waiting fishing the shore learning these areas that way until i got a boat and then i could you know learn more and more but now a lot of it's graphing so the electronics we have are ridiculous <laughs> i mean the electronics on most boats now are more than people's cars almost oh, yeah. you know like so it, it, just what it, you're able to do and see and, and dissect with the electronics. A lot of days I'm just going out if, just for fun. I'll just go out and drive and just idle and look for new stuff, 
you know, that I haven't fished and just try to add little pieces each time I'm out there to that. To me, that's fun is the search looking yeah, for them. It's just like this is a perfect reference to hunting. I it's mean, exactly right. You yeah. are literally. So obviously most people who are listening are hunters, but this is, this is, I mean, I know it's called the origins of hunt. This is an outdoor podcast. So yeah. this is a perfect example. You just explained how it goes hand in hand. Everything outdoors all works together that you, you can scout for fish just like you scout for deer. Exactly. And in, in, in your, your their movements and yes, they, they travel seasonal, along pathways. And you're out there, you're out there scouting when you're not fishing competitive or, or necessarily guiding and yep. you're, you're pinning as like, you know, just like we have on X or, you know, hunt stand, exactly. whatever. Same thing, you know, you're, you're, and I'm big on exactly what you said too, historical data, you know, especially with Lake Erie being so big, you're never going to cover that in a year, you know, a, a Even in a lifetime. Yeah, right? exactly. You'll never cover. It's such a big body of water. I mean, hell, I've been, I've been all over every game land, you know, around here. I don't, you can't even, if you look at my, my hunt stand and you just like zoom in the pens, you have, you can't, there's just, it's just colors everywhere. That's, and how, I, that's how my graphs are too. And then like, I just, that's just around here. So, I mean, right. it's just, you, you keep those because, you know, with, you know how it is with a little one. Sometimes if you're limited with time, like I have, so when I first found out I was having a kid. I fr didn't freak out to this point where we weren't planning because we were definitely. Well, you know, well we, we all freak out a little bit because we yeah. can't be prepared for that. <laughs> because I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to still be able to hunt. He's going to be born to January. So, but for the following year, how am I going to strategically place myself in somewhere in, in the best position? So I went through when I would be up late with him, early mornings, late nights with him, whatever it was, I would go through and look through my pins and I would color coat according to the wind. That way when, if I had short time, I would just look blue pins meant south wind. So I would just start going through, I mean, it's historical data. I mean, just from oh, yeah. hunting those areas or scouting them previously. And I mean, Getting creative like, with it. Now you have to, when you're limiting time with and you have a kid, I mean, totally. How long have you been like studying I guess I, you could say the Lake Lake Erie. Um, I'd say since we were probably like teenagers. I didn't know like when, if you got into it after we were, at, you know, out of school or if it was something you were already into. Cause I mean, obviously, like you said, that's the, one of the best areas around oh, yeah. the fish. So you yeah, obviously well, I, guess I didn't have that. a boat um, until I was graduating college. So I was 21. So I got a boat and then I was able to start going out there and scouting that way. But I mean, I was waiting cause you can wait a lot of Presque Isle um, most seasons. Me and my buddies would be out there with leeches all over our legs, you know, waiting in the summer and spring you have to wear, you know, neoprene cause it's cold as heck um, or the fall, but then just fishing off the piers and doing a lot of study and research online. I mean, online's really good. You can study a lot just message boards and stuff when you're younger. That's how I, I learned a lot of stuff too. Yeah. Now is there, <clears throat> when you're, I mean, I guess obviously when you have your fish finders, you're looking at like uh, the sonar, I guess it would be, is mm -hmm. that what it is? Sonar. So do you have any kind of other mapping tools that you can use? Are there like, yeah. So uh, like you were talking about, like you were dropping pins and stuff and looking on your phone. Like I'll show you kind of, what, so this is an avionics. This is an app, which is you'll see here. We'll see if it'll show up or not. You gotta put it over. Yeah, your let phone. me put off the. 
there. Yeah, it's showing it. Okay, it's loading. Yeah, it's loading. But you can see it's got like all the contours. But essentially, I can go in there. I can look at like a contour map. So, so here's. I think I'm looking at Lake Lanier because I'm gonna be there to get the truck wrap. So look, I'm dropping pins all over that thing. Nice. Okay. So you can have coordinates. I mean, I haven't fished there really, but let's go look at like. So I guess I mean it's like, essentially, it's essentially like a heat heat map. Like mm -hmm. I'll color code it based on depths and stuff, and then I'm gonna look for certain things, channel swings, just different things I think they're gonna relate to seasonally, and then I gotta go see if it's any good, which. A lot of times you can kind of tell just once you've been to certain lakes, like other ones kind of mimic them. So you know where to at least start looking for them. Plus old like old tournament data and stuff. You can find a lot of just good creeks on giant reservoirs and just areas, you know. Now every every year are you fishing the same do you guys fish the same like no. the same lakes or no it switches every year every year yeah, there's some like that are there'll be a few usually that they like to go to but they usually swap most of them out every year now i know whenever you it was just the other day you were talking about uh the the hamlin situation how he wasn't going to get vetted yeah. or whatever when you you said it was in comparison to to you being in the in the elite series. Now, how does that what, what, do reference on that again and you it's, know, explain? It's that. not exactly apples for ab, apples apples, but in the NFL, I think you have to have like three years service time, as far as to get um, like all the health benefits. You know, like because if he was paralyzed or whatever, right? The NFL wouldn't pay for it for his whole life if he hadn't been in the league for x number of years i think that's how it worked so like in the elite series and, and professional fishing it's it's not quite as cut and dry but essentially once you're established for a certain number of years like you're kind of ingrained where it's hard to get you out kind of thing it's it's essentially the same but not quite like apples to apples insurance and all that because there's no they don't pay for any insurance. You have to have right. your own insurance and stuff. But just being solidified in the in that tier, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what is your favorite like to fish on during your uh, Bass Master tournaments? Do you have a personal favorite that you go, hey, I'm going to have a good time there, I'm going to do well? Yeah. or? Yeah, I mean, there's a few that I really like, but uh, Chickamauga is probably my favorite. Um, it's down like by Chattanooga, Tennessee. Okay. They um they stocked they Graham Lake stocking patterned uh <laughs> big big F one, which is like a hybrid Florida bass that can handle colder weather because the Florida bass grows so quickly. So they they stocked them in there. So there's some gigantic bass in there. And the this the weather is, you know, Tennessee's a little bit more mild than here, although they do get cold, so it's just it's you can fish there all year round and i mean the size of the fish in there is crazy you can catch them doing about anything you want it's it's kind of like a little playground for doing just bass fishing it's it's one of the best you were talking about florida have you ever isn't it the only other is pelican bass down there uh peacocks yes peacock bass whatever. yeah the ones that are from south america have you caught any of those i've not personally no uh they they're mostly like i lived in north florida and I guided down there for a few years in the winters and springs. 
and um, until my kid came. And the peacocks need warmer temperatures, so they're like South Florida. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've always seen them, and they're like, I mean, yeah, like you said, they're tropical. I mean, yep. they're they're awesome looking. I just they're I don't like know anybody. On river and stuff. Yeah, I just never known anybody who's actually fished them or targeted them or. Or if they were in any kind of comparison to what we would be, you know, obviously everybody who listens to this is 99%, probably 90, high 90s or largemouth. You know, you're going to get some smallies out there going down the rivers, you know, central PA maybe, or, you know, up and up, obviously up towards you. But, uh, yeah, yeah, they fight like them a little bit. Everybody that's caught them that I know said they fight a little harder, but. They, like the ones in Florida are about the same size as like, you know, your large mouth and stuff. Um, they kind of cap out because in the Amazon, they can get to about 20 pounds. Wow. Yeah, which is insane. But huh. I don't know, just because the the climate or something is not quite conducive. They, they may be like eight, maybe 10 pounds at the most. The most, the most are like do. three to four pounds, you know. That'll yeah. still do for me. Oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah. What is, uh, what's your PR? Um, my best one was in Florida. It was a nine five. Is that the large mouth? Yeah. What, large what about small mouth? Seven two. Whew. Wow. That's, a, yeah. that's what they call a football. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, we're lucky up here. Like, I'd say most. I usually don't go more than a couple days in the spring or the fall without catching at least a six. Jeez. Six pounder. I, I remember when we used to go back to the Graham Lake. It was probably what. 10 years ago, probably. Yeah, it was, well, it was longer than that because we, geez, I don't want to say how old we are, but it was longer than that because we graduated way longer, <laughs> way longer than that. And it was yes. right after high school, I think. We're definitely old. And like 2009. I, I remember, I think. Yeah, I remember, you know, when we would go down there and just nobody really fished it yet. You know, right. it was kind of left alone for a few years and for, kind of almost forgotten about. And once I think they filled in the pond out back behind the farm, we didn't have anywhere to dick off so we went across the we realized oh we forgot about all these fish we we caught catfish left and right down there for like three summers in a row yeah oh just we, i mean we it, might have put those in there yeah i, I <laughs> think if you and you you probably ben had something to do with that yeah, yeah we're, we're still, still catching, catching the big channel like, cats and, yeah, and they, put them in the pond they seem to like continue to spawn and stuff yeah uh, me and johnny catch an average of you know we're not even really fishing for them either right and we'll catch two or three you know a season just kind of screwing around like we're not even doing the whole catfish rig or anything like that i mean they're they're definitely still in there and i know there's definitely some big ones in there still so that's good to hear i think the only thing that we have almost confirmed that didn't survive was the walleye yeah they need like uh Moving they need grassy water. cover and they mean more moving water apparently like they can't spawn unless you've got like a river or creek running through because they they need to run up and the eggs need to be in current makes sense is why where you find them at palma tuning is at the causeway and up at the, yep. the spillway because it's and it's usually always starts at the the spillway and then they move south and they move yep. you'll start catching them at the causeway and then usually the dam well Usually I'll catch them at the dam. I haven't. I've usually caught them half a mile almost up from the dam. It's yep. usually pretty good. But yeah, that's that's mainly what I've I've done when it comes to lake fishing is is walleye. I've never really got into bass fishing. I've I've still just pond hopping, old school. You know, it's fun. It is. Yeah. I mean, heck, I remember 
Cody, Redfoot, and a couple other kids, we would skip school <laughs> in high school, senior year, and just, we, you know, we knew people were at work, and they were people that told us no or something, you know. We, we were, you know, how everybody were. We were assholes. We <laughs> we just went in because we were kids, and we knew we'd catch big fish. And I don't know, did you have you ever fished our old wrestling coach's property out in Dark uh, One time, yeah, Dietrich. Yeah, yep. yeah one time. When I was so when I got real big into fishing was like senior year, and I was fishing out there, and I had access to that by myself, and he had no idea what he had, and I would catch honestly a four or five pound bass at least every day when I'd go out there. I'd I'd walk the whole thing, and I screwed up. I started bringing a couple people, and then a couple more people. Well, then I grad we you know we graduated. And more people that wrestled in the past, and you know, after that, started bringing people, made it a little party hangout. Well, he pulled the plug on that, and then he ended up selling the place. I think now, but yeah, that was that place was that in the the Bison Ranch, where the two. I used to fish by the Bison Ranch. My grandfather and I had permission to fish back there. The one like heading towards Sandy Lake. Yeah, you can turn right past like like uh, where that big tank is sitting out in the ground yeah we used to fish that one that was pretty good yeah that was those are the two i would say other than graham lake that i would say would be like if i was going to go if i was going to go to pick a place i was going to pick like i knew i was going to catch the biggest bass it'd probably be one of those but i haven't yeah. fished those places since geez, I mean, almost high school right after high Same. school yeah i mean we used to fish um those ones behind the outlet mall too yeah, and it's the same thing. They got overran. It's just like what we were talking about, those game lands out on that Mason Road. They just – they got overran, and the Amish just take everything. And I mean, I guess there's nothing that we can do about that because it's just like hunting on public land. It's right. there for them to use, and as long as they're – I guess, you know, they may take, you know, 30 of them and claim that they all have a license and they're taking the legal limits for all of them. If they're playing by the rules. I guess we can't really do much about it besides try yeah, to try to beat them to the punch. I guess, but no, it happens in a lot of the lakes, even like smaller inland lakes around here, like Edinburgh Lake and these ones that aren't very big. If you keep some fish and another person keeps a bunch of pan fish or bass or whatever, it it puts a hurting on that lake. Pretty easily. That's what, and we thought that was what was happening down at the lake for a little while, and. It, it, we I think that was happening because they kind of cracked down down there. Yeah, with people coming in and that helped, but I think the eagles. I'm it's not like I told you the eagles were. I see more eagles working down there, and it's that has to obviously hurt it. Oh, they can hurt but for sure. I think the reason that they've seen so much success in the past, like two years, three years, is the boat because it just. They, oh, yeah, you can get so many more yeah, places I mean, you can't fish from shore. Yeah, and those fish that were by shore, they saw they you could only get to certain places. And anybody that was sneaking in there was fishing those places. And more than likely, they were casting out with a bobber and live bait and just right. snack. You know, everything that swam by was going to eat it. Yeah, I mean, that's what we used to do, too. We used to use live bait and all that stuff when we were younger all the time. This yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely fun. Gets especially having a kid. Like that's how obviously you got to introduce them. Bobber and a worm. <laughs> Bobber and a worm, and just wait. Have right. you taken your kid yet? 
No, I haven't. He'll, I'm I'm going to try to get him out this summer. He just turned two in January, gotcha. and he loves everything outdoors. So get him splashing in the water and then maybe take him down. Brad's been trying to get me since he was born to take him down to youth trout. <laughs> he wants to fish down. He wants yeah, dude, that like stretch has got to be fire down there. Yeah, yeah, Brad's like, you got to get down there. I'm like, Brad, he's like, just put him in that little sack in the front. Yeah. <laughs> well, Check I bought a house at the end of Tidball a couple years ago, and that that little pier there is within two minute walking distance of my house, and I'll walk by there every once in a while. And I'll see like big palominos just sitting there a few weeks before the season, and just knowing I can't touch them. That's I've been kind of uh, trying to uh, bribe Charles a little bit here, trying to borrow his son so I can hook a nice palomino for once in my life. You just take our like little shoulder strap thing and put like a baby right. doll in there. Yeah, he's go. got a license. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, Destin, when you like when you have to get ready, like we said, in, you know, in the beginning season's coming up what are you doing right now uh you know beginning of the year till now till the beginning of season what are you doing to prep and you know to get everything lined up and ready i know you said about getting your truck wrapped and you're going to do a little practice yeah so um studying the lakes like i showed you like that app is like one way i'm going to study some lakes i watched every old tournament you know on you follow is where we're going you follow alabama um just went over maps, uh, paper maps, Navionics, Google Earth. You can look at a lot of good satellite imagery and see, you know, what creeks might be a little dirtier when the rain comes and which ones might stay cleaner. Like that's going to help me kind of figure it out. You can also see, you know, laydowns and all kinds of stuff on satellite images that you can just save yourself a lot of time, you know, running around the lake. And because a lot of lakes we fish are 100,000 acres, you know, they're, 50, 100 to 200,000 acres. The second tournament's at Toledo Bend in Texas. It's 200, almost 200,000 acre lake. So you couldn't see that whole lake in your whole lifetime. No, so no. you got to really, you got to really pick and choose what you want to spend time practicing and know what you, how you fish and what's going to suit your style and just cater to it. So a lot of that studying, getting tackle ready, getting reels clean, rod guides fixed, you know, getting new line checking hooks, changing hooks, you know, organizing everything. I got, I've been doing that all, all the, uh, I probably can't see that as good, but yeah, like full crankbait stuff, but just organizing all my tackle and making sure I have just what I need, where I need it so I can find it, you know, rough number. All the boat stuff too. Rough number. How many lures do you own? Oh man. <laughs> That's like one of those jars where they, you like, can win like a thousand bucks yeah how many gummy bears are in the jar yeah i've um, seen that room i think the one you're in i've seen pictures of it when you're organizing you had everything on the floor and you've had like everything stacked up on those on those shelving units i was like there has to be thousands and thousands and thousands of them oh yeah i would say yeah i'd say probably like five to ten thousand jesus man <laughs> now okay so you have that much equipment mm -hmm. when you are in season mm -hmm. are you is, is it is it so when season starts is it kind of you gotta you gotta get the money when it's there because season's only so long and you gotta go 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 or are you getting time to practice you know are you in between how long does it take you to travel practice all that kind of stuff you know and and when are you making time to restock or are you are you just loading down the truck when you make your your initial haul? 
Yeah, I try not because like I couldn't even take everything with right. me. So I got to really plan out ahead of time because now I'm going to be going to two places in this trip. I'm going to be getting, well, three really, just because I'm going to be getting a truck wrapped at a different place. But you follow that I'm going to Toledo Bend in Texas right after the pre fish. So I have to have stuff for both of those. But I'm probably going to leave my boat in Tennessee instead of driving it back home because then I'll have to go back down there to pre fish. And we have the classic. I have to work at the show in Tennessee. It's in Knoxville. So I keep it with my friends that got like pool barns and stuff. And then I'll probably drive down new tackle and maybe bring old tackle back that I don't think I'll need for the next couple trips. But it's it's a lot of like logistics, just trial by fire, <laughs> trying to figure it out as best as yeah, as definitely as trying to plan ahead and hope for the best. Be right. You can, yeah, as you know, you can only plan so much, and then just there's so many variables that just you can't. Yeah, because I mean, I've seen I've seen just pictures before of when you were going, or when you were going, or when you were just prepping for a, a, just another tournament, mm -hmm. and you would be. I mean, I don't you uh, just the stuff that you were putting on the boat those days was like 10, 15 times more than the stuff I owned. So I didn't know, <laughs> like I didn't know when you were actually having time to sit down and, and go through things on the road yeah not really you don't have that much so like in the off season i try to really take stock of everything i have and try to even plan like okay i'm running low on these crankbaits i need to possibly order some more i'm going to be running low on hooks i need to get these other hooks or something so you got to really plan as much as you can but you can only do so much like i said i don't know Hey, Destin, I've kind of seen like this thing I've never really seen before until recently. They call it like fizzing fish. It's like oh, yeah. when they bring them up from the depths and like, you know, kind of like open them up a little bit. So they deflate. Is that yeah. something you would recommend? And like, what exactly yeah. is it? I do it actually very frequently up here. So Lake Erie, a lot of times we're catching them really deep. So it depends on the lake, but I'd say more than 20 feet of water you're going to want to fizz them. And the reason being is because like, think about like a diver. Have you heard of divers like getting the bends? Yep. Yeah. So like, it's the exact same thing with a fish. If they come up too quickly, they can't like neutralize all the, the gases inside of them. Okay. So it just like basically what, what does it do exactly? And essentially I think it just kind of like pushes on all their internal organs and doesn't let their blood pump, you know, efficiently. Right. Because that air bladder swells up to let them, you know, descend and get down deeper. And when you bring them up too quick, it's still like inflated. So you have to stick a needle to like depressurize them, like how right. they put okay. a diver in like a depressure chamber or whatever. That's essentially what you're doing by just like popping it like a balloon, just let it. Right. Deflate. Yeah, I saw that a couple times, and I was like, I don't know if this is like. Yeah, he mentioned <laughs> it to me. I was like, well, I don't know. Oh, it's right wild. Like it's not something any most people would ever think about. It's like crazy. It seems crazy. Yeah, right. see, it sounds crazy, but I mean when it sounds catching... like fizzing though. Like it sounds like you're opening a can of pop. So when you like shove that needle in, you gotta make sure you're in the right spot. There's a lot of videos. So people, if you want to do this, please watch a video because you can really hurt the fish. But right when you hit the right spot, it just sounds just like that. Like like you're opening a can of pop. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, are you doing, so you're doing that to, you said pretty much every fish or are you doing over, that to only like, fish? Over like 20 feet of water if you catch them that okay. deep, because that's usually when they've got their air bladders inflated. Okay. And do you do that before, if say you catch a nice one, do you do that before you put them back in your live well or? That's only if you live well. And, okay. So if you're catching them, throwing them right back, you don't have to do that. Okay. Okay. That's Unless you've kept them out of the water too long for like pitchers and stuff. Sometimes right. you'll you'll go to put him back in the water and he'll just be floating like he can't he can't get back down. So right. then you would have to fizz him to let him get back down. And are there a lot of designated areas on Erie where they release all the fish before you go out and all that? Um, are there certain areas that you know they stock smallmouth and walleye or anything like that? The, the great thing about Lake Erie, we don't have to they naturally re reproduce in like in such great numbers that they don't need to stock. I mean, I think they might stock some walleye, but like they don't really have to. Right. Because okay. like I was talking about the walleye, like they need running water to spawn. They've got, we've got all these tributaries in Lake Erie and especially in Ohio is where a lot of them spawn. And they go up like Cuyahoga river and all those rivers to spawn in the, in the spring. And then they come back out and all those young, walleye like hatch and come out of there and then go back into the lake whenever you like so after a tournament uh, can you can you just willy-nilly just go throw these fish back in or do you are there like no nah, uh -uh. yeah i figured you have to go so far away from shore so far away from like the docks or do, can you just well, there... like in the tournaments that that we fish um there's usually like a giant pontoon boat okay and and it's got humongous tanks covering the whole pontoon and they are like cooled down and like oxygenated and everything so all the fish go in there and they run groups of fish out dump them in like deeper water so it's you know more oxygenated and then they come back and keep dumping them for the for the whole tournament so they, they do a good job of fish care yeah yeah i mean i'm sure because now, what would you? I'm sure you get penalized. Like, if you have a fish yeah. die, what is how big is that penalized? Um, like in most of them, it's like a quarter to a half a pound. At some tournaments, like I've seen some local tournaments where it's like a pound, like you can lose a whole pound, which right. is a good incentive to not kill fish. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, some some people don't really care about taking care of the fish, and sometimes it's just you deep hook them or something. Like it's it's not really within your control, but I mean, if you can take care of the fish, like you should, because like we were talking about how some people could put a hurting on a, a fishery. If you've got all these tournaments taking thousands of fish and everybody's not taking care of the fish, like it could be a problem. But I think most people are pretty cognizant of taking care of the fish, especially when you're getting penalized, you know, right. for, for killing them. So before we wrap things up, I got the question. What is for a million dollar fish, million dollars <laughs> on the line? What lure is destined to marry and throwing? Oh man, probably Senko. <laughs> Senko is the number one bait to catch anything, any size, anywhere. So I'd say that would probably be be number one. What color are you going? Just like a green pumpkin, like a, something natural. I'd say is going to be your best bet because a green pumpkin. You know, you're mimicking a bluegill, a crawfish, you know, about anything that they're going to eat. So now how much I know I said we were wrapping it up, but <laughs> how much different? 
because I'm not really familiar with small mouth. Mm-hmm. How much different are you like when you have to? Okay, so say you're finesse fishing. Yeah. Is, is is one more finicky than the other? One more aggressive? I know that the I know smallmouth fight pretty hard. Are they? they are they? Is one more aggressive or? Generally, yeah, I would say smallmouth are generally more aggressive. Okay, they're, they're kind of like I, we were talking about it when I was at Champlain, like on the on TV. We were talking about it, and I was I said smallmouth are essentially like crackheads, <laughs> and large mouth just are just like a dude eating potato chips with a beer belly you know watching tv like that's that's their personalities like a small mouth once is like insane they're just like moving all around erratic but they can also be very finicky too so i mean they're it's got they've got their time but a large mouth is generally pretty just like stays in, in one place he likes his home he likes sitting on his couch and eating potato chips and he waits for more potato chips to you know get on the table so th- that's their personalities i would say yeah i mean i where would you say so where, where would you say be the closest area from us would i mean one of the one of the creeks or do you think, oh yeah, yeah yeah we used to catch like i i lived on wolf creek I to walk through the woods, but we lived on Wolf Creek, and uh, it used to be really good smallmouth fish when we saw the dam. Yeah, I know. I know a lot of people said that when the dam was there, that and the and the, largemouth above it. That old swimming hole down on the bike trail used to hold smallmouth. I heard. Yeah, too. it did, and I don't know why. Like it just doesn't now. After they took that dam out, it's still, it's a good trout hole, but I, well, I've yeah, if you can get a spot, that place is insane. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We never go there. We go down to the Iron Bridge where I went growing up. We Creek's still of... good first day, though, like because it doesn't get quite as much pressure overall as like Iron Bridge and stuff. It, it's honestly not like it used to be. The Iron like Bridge, the Iron used Bridge? To, there used to be people camping. There used to be people like selling. They don't do that anymore? No, there's like, I mean, there is one group of kids that, I mean, I call them kids, they're our age. Yeah. And they beat us there one year. And then, like, I showed up real, real early last year, and they came down. I had no headlight on or anything, like, no lights. It was pitch dark. <laughs> and they came walking down, and they just, like, I turned my headlight on, and they were like, oh, shit, we didn't know you were here. <laughs> so now, like, their dad pretty much told us, like, you know, next year, you guys have to get here really early. I was like, listen, I am not I'm not I'm not trying that hard. I'll just put my waiters on and go walk in front of you. <laughs> just like everybody else does down there. Right? That's pretty much the standard procedure. Yeah. <laughs> Besides the guy that sits that's next to us, I think I've watched him fish since I was little and he snags every other cast on the same log and I'm just like, dude, take like he has like four split shots on. I'm like, just take two off. It'll still <laughs> drift. It'll drift. It'll get out there, but you won't catch i mean he he's he, he retires hooks on more than he's fishing but i think he's at the age now he's just there to be there exactly but, he's just a creature of habit yep and he's he probably caught there that, that log probably hold, held a held a record palomino one time there's back in the 80s or something sure. but there, there's some right. nice palominos in wolf creek yeah uh, we still have ben caught that nice one three or four years ago i think yeah and i think two or three years before that uh, i was with chad and i caught one of those 21 and a half inches up by where the dam used to be wow 
Yeah, I haven't caught. I've never caught one. We were down at Wolf Creek not long, a couple years ago, and there were two sitting down there. And obviously, it was that first day. They saw everything under the sun already. And I went back the middle of the week, and one of them was gone. So I don't know if it if it moved on or if somebody actually caught. I'm, so do they get so many people snagging them? And you see, they can move to the next pool and stuff too. If they yeah, like get yeah. pestered too much. And you know that people are, are either snagging them or trying to or netting them because if you walk anywhere near them, they just take. Yeah, them. they spook so yeah. easy. I'm like that's well, not plus they stick out like a sore thumb, being like bright yellow, orange, right? Like they're an eagle's like dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But all right, well, Dustin, again, I appreciate you coming on and Brad coming on to uh, yeah, enjoy let, me it, bust, let me bust his balls a little bit here and there. And it was good. You know, I figured he'd like to be on You got, you know, we all kind of grew up together, fished together and did it all together. So Dustin, Absolutely. if anybody's looking to uh, follow you, uh, where can they follow you and where can they uh, follow the, you know, you along in the season of the elite series? Yeah. I mean, they could follow on the, my social, like I usually post most of the, the tournament stuff and some guide stuff, but on Instagram, which is destined to fish Instagram and Twitter is destined to fish. And then Facebook, it's uh, destined to marry fishing. And then I have a website, it's just destined Okay. And now is that uh, your, your website, is that where they can find your guiding on there as well? Yes. Yeah. So like news and also they can book guide trips and, and find out like what the bites like and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, again, I appreciate you guys coming on and everybody. I appreciate you guys tuning into another episode of Origins of the Hunt podcast. And remember, never stop learning.